You're listening to Radio Influence. Hey, thanks for joining Lipfold and Boss Up this week. Guys, we had an awesome conversation with Andy Graham. She's the founder, CEO, and managing partner at Big C. Big C is a digital marketing agency that she founded in 2005. They work with amazing clients like the city of St. Petersburg, University of Tampa, Metropolitan Ministries, Stetson Law, AccuSoft, and many more across the country. And she really dropped some knowledge with us. She talked about her journey. She gave us great tips and tricks on here. You've got to listen up. She created a great culture. So she gave us some tips on why culture is important and how to create a great culture in a business, plus setting boundaries, you know, for both your clients, your employees. So stick around, listen up, hope you enjoy. Tell us your story. Like why, why did you decide to create Big C? Tell us like that journey. Yeah. I, if you ask my mom, she'll tell you that I always wanted to be an entrepreneur and that she always knew I would go into advertising in some capacity. So I actually don't remember that. I remember mostly being pretty directionless. I was always a great student, but never with any purpose. You know, I didn't know I wanted to go into chemistry or this or that. So I dabbled in just about everything. I was, you know, very active in every club and started a club if there wasn't one for something I was interested in. Um, but I really enjoyed learning about human behavior and I liked the art and design side of all of that. So I really started like, I was always the person making signs for things, promoting things as much as I could, um, all the way through college. I started like working on websites, building really rudimentary websites and, uh, designing menus and t-shirts and all of those things for the pizza place I worked at in college or the record shop. And uh, I thought I was going to go into advertising, but in college, I learned that it was a business degree and I had to take all these courses in economics and finance and accounting. And I had zero interest in any of those things at the time. So I feel like that happens a lot uh, too, started, right? Yeah. I just wanted to design things and like do the <laughs> right. campaign development side. So Let me just like, have fun. Seen, yeah, this is not what I expected. So um, I actually read the course catalog. I'll never forget like halfway through my career or, you know, college career. And I was reading all the course titles in the sociology degree. And I just fell in love with all of the titles. And I thought, this is what I'm really interested in. I'm really interested in that intersection of like communication and mass behavior change. And that's what advertising is at its heart. And so I really enjoyed learning about sociologic sociological theories and in social psychology and how people make decisions, like what the root causes of them changing their behavior is. And I think that carries forward really well into what we do all day, every day, because we're sort of using data to help make those decisions and, and sort of guide people's behavior based on things we know about certain, you know, psychological things going on in their heads. So um, it, it went that direction. So I got, I moved to Florida in 2000. And I, my first job was at Eckerd College. I had a great time there. I was not hired in a marketing role, but I was grabbing all those projects. It was one of those places where you could just kind of like, if you saw something you needed, to, it needed to be done and you could do it and everybody supported you in doing so, which I suspect now that I own my own business is probably everywhere. And it's like a trait you look for in a great employee. So <laughs> like I'm recognizing now that like I probably built my path a little more than it was led on it. Um, and I, it's an advice I give to anybody all the time is sort of like, find the things you're interested in and just do them. 
Um, but I had a great boss. The dean would take me aside and he'd say, where does Andy see herself in five years? You know, and I'd be like, I don't know. Here's what I enjoy. And so he kind of started building my job for me. He would give me more of those projects and push me in that direction. And he, then he started loaning me out to the rest of the college to do those sorts of projects as well. I built a, their web team there. I hired their first web manager and built out their email marketing program, which they had never done. And then all of my uh, colleagues, friends and family started coming to me like, hey, can you design a logo for the spa that I'm opening? Or could you, you know, I'm a realtor and I need a website. Could you build that? And those clients, a lot of them either are still with us or we're still good friends. And it's sort of grown from there. So I actually left Eckerd. I went and worked at a traditional advertising agency in Tampa. And I really enjoyed it. I was hired to build out their digital team. And during that time, it was like Big C was also growing on the side, but it wasn't my full-time gig yet. I didn't quite know. I knew nothing about agency life. I had been in-house my whole career this to that point. So I wanted to soak up as much as I could about running an agency. And I really did get that experience. So I found that traditional agencies don't really know how to sell digital. At that time, they were selling it as a value add. And that was it. The website was like an afterthought behind all the media buys we're doing for you and behind the billboards and behind the out-of-home stuff. So it was um, it was difficult because... I could see that the digital stuff was going to be, should be front and center. Like this was, you know, 2006, 2007, it wasn't that long ago, but I knew that digital was the way that people needed to be building their businesses. And so um, I recognized kind of that the agency wasn't going to be pushing that for their clients and their AEs really didn't know how to sell it as well, but that I could do that for clients on my own. And so I actually got pregnant and I was finishing my master's degree in mass comm from USF. And so the time that I was using to write my thesis, I was also pregnant and I told my boss, hey, can I go halftime? Um, you know, at least until I finish this thesis, I'm really working hard. And he said, yes, he was fantastic. And I, I kind of realized I had a nine month ticking clock to like launch this business because <laughs> I knew I didn't want to come back to the agency. So the day I was induced labor with my daughter was my last day of having health insurance or a paycheck coming from somewhere else solidly whatsoever. So it was that is like, so scary too. Yeah. To I know make I that leap that. as you're giving birth, like all of these things. But like going back to what you said, Andy, about, you know, your boss back in the day asking you like, where do you see yourself in five years? And for you to, whether it's knowingly or unknowingly, just say, well, here's what I enjoy. Like that I think is, is huge piece of advice because that's what we really try to tell people now is what do you enjoy? Let's, you know, let's make a list of that and, and see what you can do for a, for a job, right. For work. Mm -hmm. And you know, that we, I talked about this on another meeting today. It was very interesting, but they say that the jobs of like 20 years from now don't exist yet today. And it can't be more true. I mean, we are hiring jobs at my agency today that did not exist 15 years ago when we started, you know, there's, there wasn't this degree of digital specialization that exists now in those very specialized um, roles to do those things. So uh, our lead developer just got hired by Apple to work on an AI product. Like that job didn't exist 10 years ago when he started programming. So How cool is it's that? incredible. Oh yes. Yeah. That is one of the things I'm most proud of at Big C is that we 
aren't always everybody's sort of start to finish, right? We're not going to be your whole career. And we understand that, but man, do we put some people in amazing places? Like we will build you into whatever you want to go. Like that is, I was given that gift and I've really enjoyed sort of working with my team around like, well, we might not be your be all end all, but I would like to get you where you want to be all, you know, end all, whatever that is. So, yeah, I think that's so important is just, growing your employees and growing with them and helping them evolve into what they want to be and evolving with the future. For sure. And we might not be growing at the same pace that they want to grow. And that's totally fine too. So there's a lot of times there's not somewhere to go up when somebody is ready to do it. And that's sometimes because the person in the up position has been there for eight or 10 years, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. but I want to be sure that we've positioned them. So I actually had a conversation with a teammate the other day and I said, you know, what are your three biggest like life goals? I'd love to help. If we could accomplish one of those while you're with us, I feel like we've, you know, done our job. So it's like, and they're not always professional. Like a lot of folks don't really know. They're just kind of taking opportunities in front of them and things that sound interesting. So I'm really looking for like, what is that passion goal that you want to do? So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you've really built like a, an awesome culture over there at Big C and culture is like a huge buzzword going on now when, when you talk to candidates and when you talk to, you know, other, other hiring leaders, right. Tell us a little bit about that. Like, did you know the culture you wanted to build? Was that like something in the forefront when you were building it? And you know, what are some things that were really important to you and how did you build that great culture? Um, Yes, 100% it's intentional. Culture is intentional unless you don't make it so. And then it sucks and everybody hates it and complains about it all the time, right? And so if you want a great culture and you want to foster certain behaviors, which are reflective of that culture, you have to do so intentionally. And that means sometimes putting a whole lot of rah-rah behind things that don't need, don't feel comfortably rah-rah-rah, right? So we are championing our core values on a constant basis. We are aligning and talking about how those core values align to behaviors in the agency. We talk about, we give kudos during our um, all-hands meeting at the end of every month. Everybody brings kudos to the table for their teammates, and then they align those with the core value. This exhibits da-da-da, and here's why. We use a micro bonus platform in our Slack channel that gives people, everybody gets 200 points a month to distribute to your teammates and you give them, you give them, they're called bonus leads. You give them bonus lead points and then you have to assign core values. And so you can say plus 15 to Kevin for bringing donuts to the office today, you know, hashtag smile and you put a core value on it. So it can be anything from somebody bringing donuts to really helping with a marketing strategy to like going above and beyond for a client for, you know, staying up till midnight to finish a deadline, whatever these things are. Um, So we're constantly rewarding the behaviors that align with our core values for sure. Um, And then when we talk to or give feedback to people around behavior, it's often also uh, juxtaposed against the core values. This really doesn't fit within our core values. And here's exactly why. So we created, my business partner and I sat down and created a matrix of, if we were imagining this core value, here are 50 behaviors that really exhibit it strongly. And then here are, you know, 50 things, and I'd say 50, but it's probably like 12 things that would, we would say, oh gosh, that's really, really not, you know, aligned with our core values. And so then when we are, we or any manager on our team are giving feedback to people, they can sort of look at these, this matrix and say, you know, on a scale of one to 10, you definitely lean over here towards an eight and over here is towards a three. We can kind of see where people need help. 
And then we can also see, we make, you know, hiring, firing decisions around those things as well. So it's, it's not just for developmental. It's also like, okay, this person really doesn't fit here. And we've repeatedly tried to fix that, but we're still seeing these behaviors. So. Um, I love yeah. that. And I have a quick question about the micro bonus, micro bonus points. Is that what you call them? Yes. Yeah, sorry. I didn't finish the best part of those as they to convert to cash and then you can trade them in oh, for gift nice. cards, PayPal, like we had our whole team donate their entire balance to Red Cross after Hurricane Irma. And it was, I mean, the fun part of that is it was like $2,600, uh, which was an awesome donation. So people were giving up, they usually cash out for PayPal or they buy Sephora or Amazon.com gift, gift certificates, but they all cashed in at the same time. It was like $2,600. They didn't tell us that there was going to be a $2,600 withdrawal out of our checking account <laughs> because nobody thought that would matter. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, we couldn't even be mad, but we're like, hey guys, in the future, if you're going to like just take $2,600, we'd, we'd like to know about it. Yeah, just let us know. <laughs> I love that. What a great idea. I think those are such innovative ways to help your culture. Do you have like someone in charge of culture or do you and your business partner do that yourselves? We kind of have a framework of like activities that are culture related activities, but we expect that our leadership team all own those things as well. And so we have a VP of client experience and she ensures that our culture and our, and our values trickle up and down into our relationships with our clients and the way that we deliver our work to our clients, because that's a piece of it too. The culture is not just fun Fridays and telling people how great they are. It's really all about your work delivery. It's our HR policies. It's like, if we say we're a family friendly office, but then we're giving people two weeks of, you know, uh, parental leave, that's not very aligned, is it? Or we're making it impossible for a mom to pick up her daughter from preschool at 3 PM when her husband can't get off work. So we've been, you know, we have to align our policies, our procedures, our operations with our values a hundred percent. So, um, everybody is expected to sort of make decisions in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. I love that. What did you say you use Slack? We use Slack for inner office communication more than oh, ever okay. now, of course, but yeah. Nice. Yeah. We, we try to do that too. We have try to have really good culture and by family friendly, we actually mean you can bring your family into work. <laughs> I have my little guy in the office today Aww. with our puppy. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Mine will be in tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. We're the same way. We've always had, we actually had a little like, we used one of our empty corrals in the upstairs of our office and had like toys and games and we had all kinds of stuff up there. I love you just, it. Man, you never know, you know? It happens. It's like all yeah. the time. Yep. Yep. And I have, I'm a mom. So I knew that I was going to be there with my kid and my dog and my business partner who doesn't have kids. The cutest thing though, he always has a treasure chest. So it's like uncle Zoe's treasure chest and, and the kids would come in and he'd pull out like the chest and let them pick a little toy or something from it. So that's cute. Very adorable. Yeah. Yeah. How has it just in the past year and a half or a year, how has that changed your industry or culture, um, you know, for Big C? Has it, have you seen a lot of change and what have you done to kind of, you know, yeah. keep up with that? Our industry has been very lucky because everyone had to transform to digital very quickly. So any businesses, we saw, we actually work with a couple of businesses who recognized the incredible opportunity for them to capitalize on a pandemic. And one of those is like a, 
digital forms processing company in the area. And so they were like, oh, this is our chance. We're going all in, you know, all these. And they had some great campaigns. It was like working with children's sports teams when they reopened, right? Nobody, you have to fill out COVID forms and there's all those like documents you have to get done. They're like, we can digitize all of that. So nobody has to touch it and pass paper around and et cetera, et cetera. So we had fun sort of in that way, transforming. From a culture perspective, that was the hardest thing because we were a very much in-person company, 100%. We had a 5,000 square foot office in downtown St. Pete. We loved it. We loved it. We all loved hanging out together. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, we went from that to not seeing each other at all. And it definitely changed um, over the course. We we tried to continue doing some like stuff to stay connected. We were doing optional like lunches, just turn your camera on and hang out. We were theming them. So we had all kinds of weird stuff. My favorite one was that we did a blanket fort lunch. And so everybody had to build a blanket fort. And then we were like zooming from within our blanket forts. That's (laughs) so cute though. (laughs) Yeah, we did fun stuff. I mean, we did dumb hats. We did bring your pet to work day. And so everybody kind of showed off their animals and, and then we ran out of themes and it kind of dwindled, but you know, it got us through that first couple months that were really tough. So are you guys coming back into the office soon or what's your plan? So we moved out of the office. We moved into a very, very, very much smaller space in a co-working place. We just rented a little room basically with six desks and we're letting the people who wanted to come in. We have folks who come in one day a week, two days a week. Uh, my business partner goes in just about every day. I'm actually moving across the country and we have employed, we've kind of opened our hiring to remote anywhere. So we hired an employee in Texas. We've already had one in Colorado. Um, We just kind of realized like we're actually operating pretty well. So everyone is actually here this week, which is exciting. It's my business partner's 40th birthday tomorrow. So we're having a big party for him. Yeah, it's cool. We're having, we rented the pickleball courts at uh, Crescent Lake in downtown St. Pete. And we're having a little outdoor pickleball party for him. (laughs) (laughs) But we use it as a reason. Nobody's, you know, people are vaccinated now. So they felt comfortable flying in. So we thought, okay, this is the time for us to get together. So instead of paying for the big office, we'll pay for maybe quarterly meetups and that'll be fun. We'll be good with that. So. We're hearing a lot of companies going that way. Just, I mean, to keep up with all the other companies that are now doing that, you know, I think you're attracting different talent now that you're opening it up to nationwide and, you know, you're staying competitive with the rest of the market. Yeah, I think so too. I do think there's still a fraction of humans who want to work in person. Right. And I've, you know, we've talked to people about that, but almost no one wants to work in person every single day if they don't have to. It's really like, yeah, if I definitely want the option to be with people, but not every single day. So, yeah. yeah. Right. I think that sense of uh, flexibility is important to people. Just, you know, having that freedom. Yeah. You can do either one. Yeah. Um, we have a couple of rapid fire questions that, you know, you can answer in like a sentence or two or less. Okay. Just fun ones. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So the first one is, I mean, this could be longer too, but tell us one, (laughs) one or two big mistakes that you made, but learned in the process of creating big C. That's really not a one or two. That's a great question. Not a one or two. (laughs) Yeah. sentence, But that's okay. I'll try to make it short. I, two things. I think I, over-delivered to clients and so then misaligned their expectations with what was actually possible and me remaining profitable. So just because I could doesn't mean I should. 
And it was a very tough to learn where, where those boundaries were. That was one of them. And then number two is when somebody tells you who they are, you trust them. So it's, you know, understanding that when somebody's saying, I'm not good at this, or I am good at this, like you don't just see what you want to see. You have to really believe that that's who they are, or you see their behavior in real life. And you're like, oh, well, that was an anomaly. No, that's how they behave in this type of stress or situation. So those are good ones. Yeah. Thanks. (laughs) I always ask the organization one. So I'll ask it, Andy, how do you stay organized? Like I'm obsessed. I've been obsessed recently. I feel like for the past six months on (laughs) organizing, right. And trying to keep all of these different things in maybe like one place so I can refer to something or, you know, and I always ask leaders and entrepreneurs and business owners, right. How do you keep organized? I have used every manner of uh, getting stuff done methodologies you can think of. I've used every single to-do electronic to-do list that exists on the market. And I still go back to my paper and pen checklist on my, it has to be tactile. I have to cross it off. I have to write it down. So I keep this. This is my notebook of like client notes and scribbles. And then this is my actual to-do list. And sometimes things move from one to the other, but very frequently they don't. And so it keeps those two things separate. Oh my goodness. I love it. That's exactly what we do. We just, (laughs) we can't get away from writing it down. No, me either. Same. I think that goes back to, you know, the in-person thing, the writing things down, like some things will just never, you know, go away. Mm -hmm. I think you need that like touch sometimes that. The only thing that I have gone full digital on is my calendar, which is Google Cal has saved my life. My husband and I have a shared calendar. I can see my business partner's calendar. I love being able to plan everybody's meetings and see what's going on for the day. So that thing moved pretty quickly, but the to-do lists and things I need still there. Yep. Hands down. What do you feel is the secret to success? I think the secret to success is truly knowing what success means to you, because I think too many people chase success that's somebody else's version of success. They're not actually thinking about what would make me feel fulfilled and happy and joyful. It's they're chasing what they see other people have as success. And I, you know, it's, it hurts you in the long run. So if you can define like, what does this mean? I had, I have a great uh, coach that I work with in a CEO group I'm in called Vistage. And she has actually said to me, like, how much money do you want to make? Like, what is that number? When do you say, like, I have achieved this. This is what I want. What does financial stability mean to you? And you actually have to put a number on paper and you're like, oh, it's way less than like what Jim thinks. And it's way more than Steve believes. And that's fine with me. So now I have my goal. So it's finding your personal definition, I think, is the is, is that. That's a really I good like one that. too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're, you're coming up with a lot of great answers. <laughs> We're just going to start emailing you. What do you think about this, Andy? <laughs> sure. Yeah. You guys can, can you make me into a bunch of memes and like post that everywhere? Yes. yes. <laughs> you might need to help us with that, with your yeah. technology. <laughs> All right. Last question. Um, what's your best advice or favorite advice you love giving to aspiring entrepreneurs? (laughs) Oh, that's a great question. I think to aspiring entrepreneurs, I would say very similarly, define what success looks like for you. And I would also say immediately to discern what your personal boundaries are, what you will put up with, because people will 
get away with whatever you put up with. So a lot of times bad behavior by your clients, by your team members, all of that is because you have allowed that to happen. And so defining and recognizing when, what you're willing to put up with. I was answering phone calls at 10 PM, 7 AM, doesn't matter. And I had a client call me one time at 7 AM on a Sunday with my two-year-old daughter. I'm flipping pancakes. She's sitting on the counter next to me. And she, and I pick up the phone and I was like, this woman calls to ask me how to reset her Twitter password. <laughs> and I thought, I have allowed this. I have allowed this behavior. And now I feel responsible to answering her because I don't want to make her mad. What am I doing here? So it's setting boundaries and like learning sort of where your where your limits are and knowing that doing things once means they're going to try it again and again and again. So yeah, that's interesting. How did you correct that? Did you just say, hey, business hours are... I did. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I, I just recognized that the, yeah, yes, exactly. I just said, listen, we're not going to do this anymore. You know, come on, this is crazy. Try the forgot password button. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. <laughs> do this again. Yeah. Right. Oh, well, that that is such great advice. And I feel like so much of our listeners can take away a lot from today's conversation. So thank you so much, Andy, for yeah. joining us today. Thank you to Big C. And also thank you to Next Path Group Partners for helping all this become possible. Yeah. And until next time, guys, live bold and boss up. This is a Rock Stops here with Rock Riley Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Here's my guest, ESPN broadcaster, college football analyst, Rini Ingolia. He played college football at the University of Massachusetts, UMass. Three years started, over a thousand yards, all three years, all American. Was he going to get drafted? He didn't get drafted in the NFL. He was bummed out. So he was signed as a free agent. He was with the Buffalo Bills. He's a guy, a young man that grew up in Rochester, New York. So for him, that was a, that was a dream come true. So he was in the NFL for a short time. He ended up playing also at uh, NFL Europe, the Frankfurt Galaxy, what it was like over there. He played in the World Bowl. He scored the winning touchdown. And then he got into police work, law enforcement. He was started as a patrolman and he did it all. He worked. He worked just about every single department and ended up being a police detective in Orlando. He only just retired months ago this past year. He's still in his 40s. He's a young man. He put in his 20 years. And of course, he is still an ESPN college football broadcaster. We talk football. We talk about his journey. Also, very quickly, but boy, oh boy, very passionate on what it was like and being a law enforcement officer and all that goes with it. And, of course, his broadcasting career. Here he is, my man, Rini Ingolia. The Rock stops here with longtime radio and TV personality. Rock Riley is found anywhere you find podcasts and RadioInfluence.com.